Our Father in heaven, thank you, Father, for your word. Thanks for the Bible. Now, the Bible that brings us great knowledge, that brings us your wish, your desire for us, and Father, that brings us the ability to live life the way you want us to live life. And so, God, I'm grateful that we have a chance to be in your word this morning. I pray that you'll bless our time together. Help us to to hear what we need to hear, see what we need to see, and then, Father, to uh, apply that in our lives. We're grateful, Lord, for your word and for Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. You probably have heard the phrase Semper Fidelis. Now, Semper Fidelis is a phrase that's been used by the Marine Corps for many years to be their motto. Yet what you probably don't know is that the Marine Corps was not the first military unit to claim Semper Fidelis as their motto. In 1861, the 11th Regiment of the United States Army, an infantry unit that was designed to fight on the ground, uh, it was designated to have this as their motto. President Abraham Lincoln commissioned it that way and commissioned them not only as a part of the Army of Ohio, but that they would also be in battle across the states. And so that 11th Regiment uh, not only fought in the Indian Wars, in the Mexican Border Wars, in the Spanish-American War, they fought in World War I, World War II, they fought in Vietnam. And today, that infantry unit still exists, the 11th Regiment Infantry of the United States Army, and they are stationed training young military officers at Fort Benning in Georgia. They used it first, 1861. But we know that it was brought to life by the United States Marine Corps. In 1883, uh, Colonel <clears throat> Charles McCauley, who was the eighth commandant of the United States Marine Corps, he commissioned this and wanted it to be their standby as a motto for the United States Marine Corps. And so he commissioned it that way. And ever since, the Marine Corps has used that. Now, oftentimes, they'll shorten that from the Latin semper fidelis, which means always faithful. Or, or always loyal, sometimes it can be translated in the Latin text, but always faithful, and they, sh they shorten it to Semper Fi, and that's how Marines greet one another, and that's how Marines respond to command, is Semper Fi, always faithful. That Semper Fidelis motto illustrates to all of us the dedication and the loyalty of a Marine who is loyal and dedicated not just to the Corps, but to the country. And if you meet a Marine, and that phrase is true, once a Marine, always a Marine. If you meet a Marine, they will make sure you understand that when you begin to talk about the country and the Corps and the faithfulness to those things. In fact, in first service, I was opening up with this seal that you see in front of you, and as I illustrated on the seal, there's the eagle at the top, then it's on the globe, and then it has the anchor through the globe, which means Marines go land and sea. But if you'll notice the banner on top, you may not be able to read it, but I'll tell you what it says. It says Semper 
Fidelis. Semper Fi. And in first service, as soon as I said that, Don Harmon, a Marine, said, oorah, real loud, you know. And, uh, and I was glad that Marine was here, you know, to help me illustrate that. Always faithful, always loyal. And in the Greek text, in what we're going to read today, it also has the meaning of always in fellowship with, to abide in, like we abide in Christ and he abides in us. Did you know in the book of 1 John, the word abide or the word to remain faithful is used 18 times? In the text? You think God was trying to illustrate a point? 18 times we hear how we need to remain in Christ or He needs to remain in us to always be faithful to Him. And that's what we're called to do. Now, sadly, over the last, no, probably 25, 30 years of ministry, I've become very concerned about something. Even in Christian circles, I hear this phrase sometimes. And it, and it kind of gets on my nerves when I hear it from Christians, but, but we hear it in the culture as well, and it's this phrase. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Really? It's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Word of God says. And when somebody says to me, oh, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, I challenge that. Because I think it does matter what you believe. I mean, for example, Adolf Hitler believed in what he was doing and believed in his philosophy, and he was sincere about it, but he was sincerely wrong. And Jim Jones, when he took over 900 people to Africa and then had them drink the Kool-Aid, and they all died there because they followed a man and not the Savior... He was sincere about what he believed, but he was sincerely wrong. And Charles Manson, when he led that murder, that, that slaughter that day with his cohorts who followed him, he believed in what he was doing, but he was sincerely wrong. But I believe it does matter what we believe. I believe it does matter what we believe. In fact, here at Chapel Rock, I can tell you this. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God and that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe the Bible is inerrant. It's without error. And we believe every word to be true. We believe that Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins to give us eternal life. We believe that he was physically resurrected from the grave. And we believe that he sits at the right hand of the throne of God today, waiting to come back to receive us again. We believe that the Holy Spirit is active in our lives and that the Holy Spirit will help us live our lives for Christ. And we believe that someday the eastern sky is going to split and Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take all of us back to heaven, those who remain faithful. We believe that. We believe that. So it does matter what you believe. And we're going to find that out here in the second chapter of 1 John. And so why don't you take your Bibles and open up to 1 John and the second chapter. We're going to begin reading in verse 18, and we're going to read down through the end of the chapter, okay? Beginning verse 18, the Bible says this. Now, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. 
This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It's the man or the woman who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man or woman is the Antichrist. They deny the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father as well. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us, even eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as is His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, it's not counterfeit. Just as it has been taught to you, remain in Him. And now, dear children, continue in Him so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. And if you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of Him. If you've been around Chapel Rock very long, and I've been here now, I'm in my 24th year, you've heard me say this more than once. It's never wrong to do the right thing. When you do the right thing, you're doing what God wants you to do. When you do the right thing, you're doing what Jesus wants you to do. It's never wrong to do the right thing. And today you're going to see that here in this text. We'll pull out three things today. Three things you need to understand about being faithful to God. Three things that exemplify faithful people. And the first one is this. Faithful people, listen now, faithful people remain in the truth and in the fellowship of God. When you remain in the truth, which is the word of God, you remain in the fellowship of God. Faithful people do that. They remain in the word and in the fellowship with God. Now, you'll notice in the first two verses, it says that some people went out from us. They did not belong to us. And when they went out from us, they didn't come back to us. Who's the us? It's the body of Christ. It's the church. It's the body that's remaining faithful in the word to the word of God. When you see somebody go out away from the faithful teaching of the word and away from the body of Christ, they all of a sudden find that they're in a very lonely place. And guess what happens to lonely people? They begin to get pushed around by every wind of doctrine. They begin to take on the antichrist view of things. They begin to listen to every teaching that comes their way, and they begin to, to do those things, and they think they're doing the right thing. But you know what? They're sincerely wrong. You need to belong to the body of Christ. You need to be in the body of Christ and in the fellowship of the body of Christ so that the Word of God can penetrate you and so that you can remain faithful to him. You see, that loneliness can really overwhelm us. That loneliness can really take something out of us. 
Recently, there was a study done in Dallas, Texas at Parkland Hospital. They noticed that their emergency rooms were becoming very overcrowded and, uh, and that they were hardly able to keep up with anything in the ER. So they, they made a startling discovery when they looked for ways to unclog that system. They analyzed data. They compiled a list of high utilizers. In other words, people who kept returning to the ER over and over and over again. They identified 80 patients who went to four emergency rooms, listen to this, 5,139 times in a 12-month period, which cost their system $14 million. So once they identified those 80 people, their names, who were repeat visitors, they commissioned a team to go meet with them and determine the reasons they kept coming back. The conclusion of the study was loneliness. Poverty and food shortage were contributing factors, but the number one determinant was a sense of isolation. The ER provided attention, kindness, and care. Hence, the multiple return visits. The people who came back just wanted to know that someone cares. Isolation will do that. Loneliness will do that. And when somebody's in a body of believers, and for no matter what the reason is, they leave that body of believers, they leave the fellowship of God, and they leave the word of God behind, they become lonely, and then a whole lot of other things creep into their life. And that's not where they need to be. Loneliness is a factor. Now, I'm going to take a moment, and I'm going to step on some toes of those who are online all the time. I believe the online feed of our services is a good thing for those who are recovering from sickness or surgery or they're on vacation or they're homebound. But if you are shopping at Kroger, Meyer, Target, Walmart, if you're going to work every day, if you're going to your kids' ball games, if you're going to recitals, you're going to graduations, you're going to other crowded places, then you ought to be here in person on Sunday morning to be in the fellowship of those who are in the Word. I ran across this article from Bob Russell just recently about that very thing. He says there are six reasons why you should be in person for worship. Number one, it edifies you. The Word of God is read, the communion is served, Christ is exalted, and the offering is collected. And you are fed the Word of God in person. Number two, it provides an opportunity to serve others. When you attend church, you learn about the needs of Christian brothers and sisters, and you're motivated to minister to them and pray for them. It's not all about you. Hmm. Number three, it quietly testifies to lost. When your neighbors see you drive out of the driveway and you head for church and they know it, they know where you're going. And church attendance slowly and quietly testifies to the world which side you're on. Number four, it provides a natural evangelistic opportunity. When you attend worship regularly, you have a natural venue to invite lost people to join you and to learn about Christ. Number five, 
It encourages other believers. Just attending church spurs others on toward love and good deeds. And number six, which is my favorite, one final reason we need to attend church regularly, God commands it, enough said. Hebrews, the 10th chapter in verse 25, if you want to know where that is, Hebrews, the 10th chapter in verse 25 says, we're not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, in the older translation it said, don't forsake the fellowshipping of the saints. You know what the modern translation? Don't forget to be in church. You know why? Because faithful people are faithful to the word and to the fellowship of the body. And this is where you serve. And this is where you learn. And this is where you give. And this is where you go out into ministry every week. Faithful people remain in the truth. The second thing you see in this text is simple. That, that, that faithful people confess Jesus as Lord and Savior every single day. Now the question is, who is Jesus? Well, according to Mark 8, he's the Son of God. According to, to John, 1 John 4 and verse 2, he is the Word in the flesh. According to John 1, he is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And according to John 11, he is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has come into this world. And you can find all kinds of other passages that tell you that he's God's Son, he's your Savior, if you just confess him as Lord. You see, that's what we need to know. And here it says, if people reject Jesus as the Christ, they're liars. Hmm, it's pretty simple, isn't it? Anyone who says, I mean, your coworker, your family member, your neighbor, if they say, I don't want to hear about that stuff, I don't want to hear about Christianity, that makes no sense to me, I don't want anything to do with it, they're the Antichrist. They're working against Christ. You have a former believer used to sit by you in worship services, and now they're no longer here, and they're out doing their own thing, and yet they're speaking against the church. They're the Antichrist. You see, faithful people confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we understand that. Because, you know, you don't have access to God except through His Son, Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one will come to the Father except through me. You say, but I'm a good person. I do good things. Sorry, that doesn't count. Well, well I'm really nice to my neighbors, and I'm nice to my kids, and, and I feed them, and, and I take care of them. Yeah, that doesn't qualify. But, but I'm really, really good to, to the people down the street. You know, they're elderly and they need help and I mow the yard and everything else. Good, I'm glad you're doing that. That's not going to get you into heaven. The only thing that gets you into heaven, the only thing that gives you access to God is your relationship to Jesus Christ. It's only through Him that you get into heaven. And we know that because the Bible says so. The Bible tells me so. Hmm. 
And because of the Bible, we confess Jesus as Lord. Every once in a while, um, our grandson, Tucker, gets to stay overnight at our house. And, um, and there's a routine that his mom and dad, my son Stephen, my daughter-in-law Cam, which by the way, they're all here today, and um, they, they've set up. And that routine is, they get him ready for bed, he gets cleaned up, he brushes his teeth, and then they read him some stories, and then they read to him from the Bible, his little Bible storybook, and then you sing a couple songs and, and that kind of thing, and then he's ready for bed. Well, you know, <clears throat> that's what we try to do then at our house when Tucker's there. And so, you know, um, Sherry will read a book to him, uh, you know, about trucks or, or large equipment or tractors or whatever he likes, those kind of things. And then, uh, you know, or, or Aunt Christine might read to him about Pete the Cat, which, yes, we are acclimated to Pete the Cat at our house now. And, um, and, you know, we read a book to him. I might read to him uh, the greatest running backs of the NFL. Uh, you know, we want him to be a well-rounded individual, you know. And then we sing songs. You know, he really likes to sing Jesus Loves Me. He likes to sing the B-I-B-L-E. He likes to sing, you know, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, For the Bible Tells Me So. I mean, all those things that we sing, and then, and then we get ready, and he goes to bed, and, and, uh, and then we go to bed. <laughs> and you know why, if you've been there. But recently, he finished his first year of preschool. And we got a text from Kim, our daughter-in-law, after he'd finished preschool, and they'd asked him, and I guess the other kids, um, what's your favorite book? What's your, what's your favorite book? What, you know, from all the books we read this year, what, what's your favorite book? When it came down to Tucker, he said, the Bible. The Bible. You don't think this granddad's heart got really big? Is that your favorite book? Is that, thank you, Tucker. Because if it's not, you're missing out. If you're not, it's not going to help you be faithful to the Lord. It's not going to help you confess Him every single day as Lord and Savior. You need to do so as faithful people who remain in Christ to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And there's one more thing here today, one more thing in this text that you need to know. The last few verses of the chapter, 26 through the end of the chapter, they're going to tell us that faithful people encourage faithfulness. Now, we're encouraged to be faithful by the Word itself. In fact, over in Galatians, the fifth chapter, verses 22 and 23, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. It's the fruit of the Spirit that God gives us. That's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Number seven is faithfulness. So God encourages us to be faithful. How does he do that? He does it through his word. In fact, in his word, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And then in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, we're encouraged to be workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You see, we're encouraged by God himself in his word to be faithful. 
and to learn from his word. We're also encouraged through the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 17, it says the Holy Spirit's going to go to work in our lives and it's going to help us live our lives for him. Now, when the Antichrist works against you, what they try to do, those false teachers and false prophets and cult leaders, they try to replace the Holy Spirit in your life with what they believe is important. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. You allow the Holy Spirit of God to work on you. You allow the Holy Spirit of God to go to work in you. And you allow the Holy Spirit of God to move you toward Christ. Because what happens when the false teachers begin to get into your life and replace the Holy Spirit, that's when you get caught up in sin. That's when sin takes over. That's when sin becomes a part of your life. That's when sin tears you down. That's when sin tears you apart. You don't need that. What you need is God's Spirit and His Spirit to work in you. I think the old hymn says it best. I was sinking deep in sin, far from a peaceful shore. I was very deeply stained within, and I was sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea, Jesus, heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help. Love lifted me. So souls in danger, look above. Jesus completely saves. He will lift you by his love out of the angry waves. He's the master of the sea, billows his will obey. He your Savior wants to be, be saved today. Love lifted me, love lifted me, even when nothing else could help. Love lifted me. Love lifted me, yes, love lifted me, when nothing else could help. Love lifted me. And that's why you need to be faithful to him. Because when life gets tough, and your heart gets broken, and you're struggling to see your way, God's hand is reaching down. You better take it. Let him lift you out of your sin and out of that life. You see, the Bible teaches us that you cannot be in fellowship with God when you're disobedient to him. You cannot be in fellowship with God when you're disobedient to God. In fact, it's spelled out pretty clearly over in chapter 3. When it says this in verses 23 and 24, and this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And those who obey his commands live in him, and he lives in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. That's how you know, because the spirit is at work in you. Faithful people are encouraged to faithfulness and we encourage others toward faithfulness as well faithful remain faithful simplify always faithful Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote a song a few years back 
we wanted to be able to play it here for you today, but our licensing won't allow us to do that. And so I want to read to you the words, so you're going to have to really pay attention. The song's called Let Freedom Ring. The first part of the song talks about our freedom that we have because of our military personnel and us living in America. And then the second part, you're going to hear about freedom that comes only through Jesus Christ. Listen carefully. Deep within, the heart has always known that there was freedom. Somehow breathed into the very soul of life. The prisoner, the powerless, the slave, they've always known it. There's something that keeps reaching for the sky. And even life begins because a baby fights for freedom. And songs we love to sing have freedom's theme. Some have walked through fire and flood to find a place of freedom. And some faced hell itself for freedom's dream. Let freedom ring wherever minds know what it means to be in chains. Let freedom ring wherever hearts know pain. Let freedom echo through the lonely streets where prisons have no key. We can be free and we can sing. Let freedom ring. Now listen. God built freedom into every fiber of creation. And he meant for us to all be free and whole. And when my Lord bought freedom with the blood of his redemption, his cross stamped pardon on my very soul. So I'll sing it out with every breath. I'll let the whole world hear it, this hallelujah anthem of the free that iron bars and heavy chains can never hold us captive. The Son, S-O-N, has made us free, and free indeed. Let freedom ring down through the ages from a hill called Calvary. Let freedom ring wherever hearts know pain. Let freedom echo through the lonely streets where prisons have no key. You can be free, and you can sing. Let freedom ring. Amen to those words. That Jesus Christ has already paid the price for your sins. Why? Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did he die in our place? Here's why. Because the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 31, says that he is the Son of God. And because he's the son of God, that you believing in his name will give you the opportunity of eternal life. Believing in his name, the one and only son of God, Jesus. That can be you today. You can name Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. You can confess him as the Savior of your life. You can give your heart to him. And you can begin a journey where you'll walk in freedom from sin because of what he did. Will you do that today? Some of you say, I've already done that, Pastor Fred. I already gave my life to Jesus. Good. Are you remaining faithful to him? Are you living for him every day? Do you encourage others by your faith walk? Do you help others come to Christ? Are you remaining faithful? 
Do you abide in him? Does he abide in you? And the last verse said, and you'll know that you're there when the Holy Spirit lets you know. See, you need all those things in your life. If you don't have those today, you can make that decision. You can walk the aisle, give your life to Christ. But in first service, several people came and prayed. They must have seen a portion of their life where they needed to be more faithful. That's okay. We need to do that. So what is it for you? What do you need to do today to remain faithful to him? I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. While we sing, you come down front. We'll help you make that decision today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, oh, Lord, your word is so true. Your word overshadows everything else we know in this life. So God, help us to always allow the word to sink in, to become a part of who we are, so we can live it out. But Father, also, I pray that we'll become even more faithful to you. That we will give ourselves away so that others might be able to come and experience the same peace, the same freedom that we have today.